They're celebrated. Well, tonight is the launch of a brand new series for us that we've been talking about for some time. And the series is designed with one focus in mind, and it's to answer questions. You might be here tonight, and you've got questions about what, what is Christianity? You've got questions about what, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? You hear these terms, you hear these phrases. You might be here tonight, and you're asking the question, what does it mean to have a relationship with God? Not just believe that God exists, but to have a relationship with Him that's life-defining and passion-filled and moment-by-moment governing. And, and, it, and if you've been coming for some time, you, you came tonight with another question. What in the heck did hashtag clad really mean, right? He, right, what in the heck? That's a Christian curse word. That's one, one of mine. Right, I grew up in a curse-free zone in my home. Did your parents, if you grew up, did they have Christian curse words, right? My mom's the heavy hitter, the J word, Jiminy Cricket. Right? So if you heard that with your first and last name, your life, as you know it, was coming to an end. So I would hear Jiminy Cricket, Joseph, Frederick, and then it was just done, right? I wasn't out of the house for weeks. So you came, right? What in the whatever your Christian curse word is, is hashtag clad. What is that? All right, this, you ready? Here it comes. Okay, here it comes. City life after dark. Now I know what you're thinking. What does that mean? We're not going to tell you that till the end of the service. So, but while you're waiting for the answer to that question, I've, I've got a question for you because we like to do some giveaways here at City Life. How about somebody who's visiting tonight, who's maybe bold enough to participate? You get a $5, come on, Starbucks gift card. All right, come on. So there's a little bit of reward for your courage. What percentage of the population of the world lives in towns and cities? Oh, I know. Yeah, you weren't expecting that one. All right, somebody, raise your hand. Don't just burn it out. Somebody that's, somebody that's somebody new to the church. Somebody visiting. Anybody? Just a guess. I'm going to give it to you even for just a guess. All right. It was, it was Greg. Was it Greg? You got a guess? What percentage of the population of the world lives in towns and cities versus rural areas? The whole world. 56. It's just over 50. Come on, that's good. That's good. That's good. Come on. I know, that's impressive. That's impressive. The Tullys have some smart friends. Come on. Come on. This is a study that came out by the United Nations several years ago. It says the world is undergoing the largest wave of urban growth in history. It says, in 2008, for the first time in history, so this came out before 2008. In 2008, for the first time, so this is in the history of the world. The history of the world, for the very first time. I feel a little ripped off that I didn't know we crossed that threshold in 2008, right? I mean, where, where were we? Where was I? In 2008, for the first time in history, more than half of the world's population will be living in towns and cities. Listen to this one. By 2030, this number will swell to almost 5 billion people. Now, if you study church trends over the last several decades, you know what you find? It's moving in the opposite direction. If you study church trends, what you find is that churches in towns and cities by number are in decline, and in the rural communities and in the suburbs, they're on the increase. The church has literally, for the last few decades, been passing by humanity 
on the road of life. And what we're saying as a church, we don't want to be that. If you've been coming to the City Life Church, maybe you've never known why we call it City Life Church. And it's simply because of that conversation that we just had together. We are going to be a church in the city because that's where the people are. We're not saying that people in the suburbs and people in rural communities, they don't need churches. They've got lots of churches. But people in the cities, because that's where, over the next several decades, the population is going to swell. We want to be a church that's right in the midst of that population growth trend. And we're going to be a church in the city with the message of life. One of our favorite verses here at City Life is Psalm 2713 that says, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We want to be a church in cities that bring that message of life and hope to people who are despairing that Jesus has something to offer them that they desperately need. And we want to be that kind of church. Come on, and it's going to be good. All right, so I've got three questions I want us to dig around in a little bit together tonight. And, and the first one, is, is Denise Thomason in here? Is she working in the nursery? This is Denise's favorite story, so she's going to have to, she's not in here, right? She said, that's my favorite story. So, all right, so this is, this is for Denise at the expense of my wife. So, yeah. So, 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 the, so the first question is, is, is this. Can, can I rely on God? That might be a question that you're asking yourself. So, so when Vanessa and I were, were newly married, we've been married for, for 15 and a half years. Our anniversary is in May. And we were newly married. We didn't have kids. We lived in Richmond. And my brother worked at a rock climbing gym called Peak Experiences. Anybody ever been there in Richmond? I don't even know if it's still there. It's a cool place, isn't it? It's a rock climbing gym, and they've got all kinds of different walls that you can climb on. And so I had been multiple times before because my brother worked there, but it was Vanessa's first time. So we went together, and, and you have to go through a class, and you, you get a harness that you wear and the shoes that help you grip the wall, and you have to learn to tie all the right knots and how all the equipment works. And one of the most important pieces of equipment is a brake that the rope passes through that the person on the ground, when they're belaying the person who's climbing, that's what, if they fall away from the wall, they... Just all they have to do is bend the rope around their hip and, and it binds up in the break and, and, and you'll, you'll just suspend there in air. So we go through the class, tie the knots, and I'm going to climb first and Vanessa's going to belay me. And, and every gym have different kinds of commands, but the commands that this gym uses this, is that when you're on the ground, me the climber, I turn back to the person that's belaying me and I say on belay, like a question. And then that person looks at my equipment, they look at their equipment, and they say belay on, and then they say climb on. And then I respond to them climbing, right, to let them know that I'm starting to climb. So now how you do it is you hold the rope with this hand right here, and then you hold the other part like this, like you're in a rodeo, okay? I've never been in a rodeo, but that's what I imagine it would be like. So, and so the reason why you have to hold the other hand on this rope up here is because as you're climbing, right, because the rope is attached to me, it goes up through a pulley, it comes back down behind me, and it's connected to Vanessa. And as I'm climbing, there's going to be slack in the rope, and you want to make sure you're continually working the slack out of the rope so if the person who falls, right, there's no slack, and they'll stop immediately. So I climb all the way to the top, right, because I'm really good. And so I climb all the way to the top, and then when you get to the top, you let go from the wall. You let them know, okay, I'm coming down, all right, and you let go from the wall, and then they lower Lower you down gently. <laughs> At least that's what they said in the training class. So she's laughing already, right? So I'm about 30 feet up in the air. 
Did I mention I go to a chiropractor once a month? Did I mention that? Did I mention that? And so she used to lower me down, and everything's going great, right? You lower a little bit, and then you stop, and you lower a little bit, and then you stop. And then all of a sudden, I realized there's, there's a less frequency of stops in between the lowering. And I get to about, about 10 or 12 feet off the ground. That's just above a basketball rim. And I hear this noise. Okay, see, that's not what you want to hear from the person that's belaying you down on the ground. So the rope was passing through the brake too fast, and it was slipping through her hand, right? It's just, it's, you just go like this. That's all you got to do, right? <laughs> what you don't do is this, right? That's what you do if you have an encounter with Kevin, Officer Kevin Tully, but not at the climbing gym. So you know what I did? I had a, an encounter with gravity. Straight down, right on my back. Boom! Right on the floor. There are some pads on the floor. Some pads. But from 12 feet up, they're not very effective. Right? That's the last time Vanessa and I have climbed together. Right? But some of you, right, you know where we're going. You would say, well, well Fred, this idea of trusting God, it's hard for me. If you, if you knew my story, this is what you're thinking. If you knew my story, this is what you're saying to me. If you knew my story, there was a time in my life where I put the full weight of my life on him. And I think, I'm pretty sure he dropped me. And this idea of, of, of relying on God, that's a, that's a big question for me. I hope you go on this series with us for these next seven weeks because we want to be a church. We don't have all the answers. But what we'd love to do is to ask those questions with you because God's got the answers to the questions that you're asking. All right, come on. Question number two. Can God rely on me? Because that's an important question too. Can God rely on me? John Ortberg is one of my favorite Christian authors. He's a prolific writer, incredible teacher. This story comes out of one of his books. I, I think it's The Life You've Always Wanted. He's got several. I think it's in that one. I'm not certain. So it's a true story from John Ort Ortberg about a guy named Bob. Bob was an insurance salesman. This is a true story in Washington, D.C. And he had just become a Christian and was learning about the Christian faith when he came in all excited one day. He had just read the part in the Bible where Jesus says, whatever you ask for in my name, you shall receive it. And Bob wanted to know if that was true. And his mentor replied, yes, it is true, but it's, you know, it's not a blank check, Bob. You, you have to take it in context for the teaching of the whole scripture and, and, and prayer and, and, and make sure that you're asking what you're asking for is God's will. But, but yes, Jesus answers prayer. I mean, it works. So Bob said, all right, let's test it out. I need to pray for something. So his friend said, okay, let's pick something for you to pray about. And since I truly believe that God is going to answer your prayer, let's make a bet. It's the kind of church you want to go to, right, where there's gambling intermixed with discipleship. If you pray for six months for this, which they haven't decided what this is yet, and nothing happens, I'll give you $500 on the spot. If you're interested in doing that, you can see Nate Nowotny after the service. I'm not sure where Nate is. But if, if you don't pray, even one day, the bet's off. Every day, you've got to pray. Bob agreed. His friend said, what do, you, what do you want to pray for? And Bob said, well, I've always been interested in Africa. I'm going to pray for Africa. The guy's thinking, right, there's $500 on the line. You're going to have to narrow it down a little bit. That's a little bit too vague. So, so he says, okay, I want to pray for Uganda. And his friend asked, 
He said, why? Have you ever been to Uganda? No. Do you know anybody in Uganda? No. Then why do you want to pray for Uganda? I, I don't know. I just want to pray for Uganda. Because see, this is part of how prayer works. The Holy Spirit kind of stirs some desires up in our heart, and we don't even know it's him that's doing it, but he's setting us up for the answer to the prayer that Jesus promises. So we prayed every day for Uganda, and nothing happened. But then one night, when you like how the word suddenly appears in the Bible so often, and suddenly, right? Suddenly one night, he was at a dinner in Washington, D.C., and he was making small talk with the lady next to him, and he asked her what she did for a living, and she said that she helped run an orphanage in? Oh, you better believe it. The largest of its kind in the whole country. So now Bob began to pound her with question after question about Uganda and what she did there and how things were going. And after a while, the woman said, you're obviously interested in my country. Have you ever been to Uganda? He says, no. Then why are you so interested? Well, someone is kind of paying me $500 to pray for your country. It's great. It's really effective evangelism, isn't it? So before the dinner was over, the woman asked Bob if he would like to come and visit Uganda and tour the orphanage. Now, Bob was excited. He couldn't stand it, and he made arrangements the next day to visit. And when he arrived in Uganda, the director of the orphanage gave him a tour of the capital city, and he was appalled by the poverty and the lack of basic health care. So when he got back to Washington, he started to write to large drug companies describing to them their vast need that he had seen. And he reminded them that every year they would throw away large amounts of medical supplies that were unsold. Why not send them to this orphanage in Uganda, he asked, and some did. They sent millions of dollars of medicine to this orphanage. It's, it's amazing, the director wrote him. We've had so much help because of you. Will, will you come over here and join us at a huge celebration this year to celebrate what we have been able to do? So Bob flew back to Uganda. Oh, the story gets better. Oh, you think it's good enough already? You think he's already earned his $500? Come on. While he was there at the party, someone introduced him to the president of Uganda. It's a true story. The president offered to take Bob on a tour of the city, and while they were riding around, Bob saw this brand new large building and asked what that's for, and the president said it's a prison for political prisoners who disagreed with the government, and Bob shook his head and said, you shouldn't do that. You should let them go. And that was the end of that conversation. They finished the tour, and Bob went home to Washington, D.C., and much to his surprise, a few days later, suddenly, there was a knock at his door, and he opened it, and there were some men from the State Department that wanted to talk with him. Are you Bob? Yes, I am. Did you go to Uganda recently? Yes, I did. Did you make any statements about political prisoners? Yes, I did. What did you say? I told the president he should let them go. All right, it's good, isn't it? He's thinking, you know, I just made $500. They went on to say that they had been working for years to get these prisoners released to no avail. But all of a sudden, the president of Uganda had released them. Everyone. Everyone. And when the State Department asked why, the president said, because Bob asked me to. <laughs> I know. By this time, the six months were up, and Bob went back to his friend and gave him a check for $500. And Bob said, you know what? The Bible's right. Jesus does hear us when we pray, and he does answer our prayers. Amen. Come on. It's an, it's an amazing story, isn't it? But you might be here tonight, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't, I don't know if God can rely on me like he can rely on Bob, because when I look into the story of my past, there's moments where I know that God set me up to do some things for him, and I didn't do them. 
because I was selfish, because I was busy, because I was angry, because I was lazy, because I was afraid. Maybe if your life's like mine, you look back into your life and you find that it's quite a long list of moments that you can find where you know that God positioned you to make a difference in someone's life. Maybe not on that scale. Maybe not on that scale. But to God, one person is a nation in need. And we look back onto our story, and maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, I, I'm not sure. Maybe your question is, I don't know if God can rely on me because I've just failed him too many times. I don't know if he's ever going to ever ask me to do anything again. We hope you go on this journey with us for these next seven weeks. We, would love, we don't have all the answers, but we'd like to ask those questions with you because we know someone who does. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to this one, Luke 10, because there's a third question, the one where I want us to really dig around a little bit tonight. This is in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. It says, just then an expert in the law stood up to test him. Not a good idea. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the word here, inherit, is an important word for us because it gives us some insight into the person that's asking the question. It's telling us a little bit about something of his character. He doesn't want to have to work for it. He wants it to be free. And little does he know, through his selfishness, he's bringing a revelation of the greatest truth in Scripture that grace is always free. What's written in the law? Jesus asks him, how do you read it, right? Because... There was no New Testament back in that day from, from, you know, from, from Matthew on to Revelation. That didn't exist yet. The, the Holy Scriptures were just Genesis to Malachi. And so he says, you know, what, what, when you read the Bible, what do you find? And He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him, do this and you will live. You, you'll live forever. You'll, you'll have eternal life. It's interesting to me here that, that, that the answer he gives, even though he asks a question about doing, the answer he gives is about being. It's interesting that he's asking a question about tasks, but the answer he gives is about feeling. It's about relationship. So when Jesus says, go and do that, he's not saying go and do one, two, three, four. He's saying go be that. He's saying go do this life, a life of a passion-filled, life-defining, moment-by-moment governing relationship with the creator of the universe. You, you do that life, and in that relationship, and in that relationship, you become an heir to the greatest gift that you could ever receive, the gift of the life that only God can give. And Jesus is saying to the world, and I'm the only one that can take you there. But wanting to, this guy's a piece of work, right? Because if that had been me, I'd say, all right, I'm done. I'm good. I'm good, right? But he doesn't say that. Wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Right? Because you know what he's thinking. I don't want to have to love anybody extra. Right? I want to know who is my neighbor and who is not my neighbor because I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to love and be in relationship. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to have to go above and beyond. Just, could you just give me the bottom line? So Jesus says, okay, I, I got a story for you. 
Jesus took up the question and he said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When you find that phrase in the Bible, it's not always directional. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going south. It, it's, it's not always elevational. It doesn't necessarily mean they're a higher elevation they're going to a lower elevation. In fact, typically when you find this phrase they were going down from, it's they were going from one city that was considered to be more sacred than any other city. So for Jerusalem, it was the most sacred of cities because that's where the temple was, where God's presence dwelt. And so you always went down from Jerusalem. Does that make sense? You always go down from Krispy Kreme on Mercury Boulevard when the hot sign's on. It's a sacred place, right? Amen. For me, I always go down from the Bass Pro Shop to any other store. All right, just throwing that in for free. So he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers, and they stripped him, they beat him, and they fled, leaving him half dead. Now a priest happened to be going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. It sounds a little bit like the church, doesn't it? And in the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. And now his choice of characters in his parable are telling because the priests and the Levites were the most respected people in Jewish society. When you study a little bit about the history of Israel, you find that there was a man by the name of Jacob. He had a few sons, and the names of those sons became the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those, lo and behold, was Levi. He made blue jeans. And, and then he was called in all of his descendants to be the priests of a nation. But then there were people who they actually took that word priest and made a title of it that those Levites who were promoted to a place of being the rulers of all the rest of the Levites, they were given that title priest with a capital P. They were all priests with little P's, but they were the priests with a big P. So Jesus sent a priest, someone over all of the religious leaders, he passed by on the other side. And not only him, but then a Levite, somebody else who's respected. He didn't do the right thing. These are the people that you expect to do the right thing. And what's interesting, which we're going to come back to in just a minute, they were traveling alone. And because it says that they were going down from Jerusalem, we know that they were leaving Jerusalem. And priests, if you're a military family, you understand the concept of deployment. Priests and Levites were deployed once a year, every year. They would have to leave their homes. They would have to travel to Jerusalem. They would have to stay for an extended period of time to fulfill their service and their duty working in the temple. And when their time was up, they would travel to the city together from whatever region they lived, and then they would travel home together. They never traveled by themselves. It's interesting. We're going to come back to it in just a minute that they're by themselves. Jesus told the story that way on purpose. These aren't the people that you're expecting to do the wrong thing. But then he says, but a Samaritan. So he drops the bomb right here because the Samaritans and the Jews, they despised one another, Right? We're in a, an election process. We don't know anything about people despising one another, right? right? So if Jesus was here today, maybe if, if you're a Democrat, he would have said a Republican did the right thing, right? Or maybe you're a Republican, maybe he would have inserted in the story a, a Democratic person, right? You, you feel that. It, it gets real for you, doesn't it? Think about maybe racial tension that exists in this world. Maybe you grew up in a home where there's racial tension and prejudice and bigotry, and, and Jesus here is leveraging the tension of his day, of his life, to help them see that it doesn't matter the color of your skin, it doesn't matter your political persuasion, it doesn't matter who you vote for in which election or what neighborhood you grew up in or how much money you've got in your bank account, every person is a candidate for eternal life. 
But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. And he went over to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which was an antiseptic of, of that day, the alcohol and the wine. And then he put him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn. And he took care of him. Didn't just drop him off. He stayed. The next day, he took out two denarii. That's two full days' wages for a laborer in Jesus' day. It's a lot of money. He gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, say, he's coming back. He's not just leaving him. There, he's coming back. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. So you know this is a man of integrity. We know that he's known by the innkeeper. We know that he probably travels there much. We know that he's a man of great wealth. And he's also a man probably has a pretty full schedule. But he says, you know what? I'm going to stop and I'm going to help today. And this is the part of the story I love so much. It says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? But that's not the question the man asked at the beginning of the encounter. He asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And now the question that Jesus is asking is who's neighborly? Because what Jesus wants us to understand, if we learn how to be neighborly, we'll never be at a loss for the question of who's my neighbor? And he answered, the one who showed mercy to him, he said. And Jesus told him to go and to do the same. So this is our third question tonight. Can I rely on myself? Sometimes it's a question that you're wrestling with and you don't even know that you're wrestling with it because you're wrestling with the other two questions and those other two questions are big, but this one is a big one too. Can I rely on myself. One of the things that we love to talk about here at the City Life Church is that when you read the Bible, you should put yourself in the story. That's why the stories are told the way that they are. You, you read it and, and, and you insert yourself. You say, if I had been King David, what would I have done? If I had been Mary when Gabriel came to give the pronouncement that she was going to give birth to this, what would I have done? You with me? If I had been Saul of Tarsus on the road, what, what would I have done? You, as you're reading the Bible, you should be continually asking yourself, if I were that person, what would I do? And oftentimes in this story, right, there's many people, so you can come at it in many different angles. You could say, if I was this person, if I were that person, what would I have done? But then there's moments like tonight where you step into every person in the story all at the same time. And I'm telling you, you learn something about yourself in those moments that you've never learned before. Because some of you here tonight, you've been in a conversation with God just like this person in the story. Not the parable, but the history part of the story. And you've been in a conversation with God and, and you've been dialoguing with Him, maybe bantering a little bit, maybe, dare we say, arguing a little bit. Because you're afraid of what you think the demands are that He might place on you. And in that place of having a conversation with God, you begin to realize that you have some deep needs in your life. Needs like the man on the roadside that are just too big to take care of on your own. And the thought of how these needs are going to be met, it might be a practical need, it might be an emotional need, it might be a psychological need, it might be a relational need, it might be a vocational need, it might be a church need. And whatever solutions that you believe might be out there, they're just incomprehensible. Whatever obstacles seem to stand in the way of you finding the answer to this question that you have, it seems insurmountable. And all of a sudden, you have this revelation. Not only are you the person having the conversation with God, not only are you the person laying in the ditch on the roadside, but you're also the person 
that's walking by. Because what God says to you, you can help yourself far more than you know. So I'm going to ask you some questions tonight. How are you neglecting yourself? What's your list of things that you should be doing but aren't? And what are the things that you shouldn't do but just can't stop? Can, can we just say tonight, maybe we don't know how it's going to happen. Can we just resolve in our heart in this moment that we're going to make this a week, a week of being a good Samaritan to ourselves? To ourselves. The worship team's going to come back up and as they do I want to share with you this incredible verse that we find in the book of Ephesians the, 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 the books of the Bible they're letters you with me? especially they're letters that people wrote to other people they're letters that God wrote he inspired them but when we understand them in letters there's a, there's a deeply personal aspect that comes in it's not academic there was a town called Ephesus, and the Apostle Paul had started a church there, and so he's writing a letter to his friends. And he says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I have down in the corner the, the Levite and the priest, because if you remember back when we were reading the, the parable, they were traveling by themselves. Jesus put him in the story just like that because he knew people like us, thousands of years later, we were going to be reading that story again and he knew that many of you are just like them you're traveling through this world by yourself in a spiritual sense and you just weren't created to be that way he made you to be a part of a spiritual family and there might be lots of things that you need to do for yourself there might be lots of things that you need to stop doing with yourself but I guarantee you one of them is this. If there's not a place, it doesn't matter if it's here or somewhere else, but if there's not a place like this that feels like what you're feeling right now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they were leaving the church and maybe some of you, you're on this road by yourself because you're leaving a church that you thought you could trust and maybe you got hurt a little bit. Come on, the mistakes of other people and the pain of our past does not give us permission to walk alone in this world. We try again. And for some of you, it's going to be about trying again. It's going to be about taking another chance. It's going to be about putting yourself out there again. Why? Because you need it. You need to be able to rely on yourself to give yourself the things that you need. And one of the things that you need in this life more than anything else is that you need a family. You need a church family. I'm not saying that because we're trying to grow this church. We don't care what church it is. There's lots of great churches. Pastor Freddie Villarreal, who did our men's getaway, I was telling the guys, if the City Life Church didn't exist and I lived in this city, oh, I'd be heading over to Freddie's church. There's lots of great churches. We're not, we're not telling you this because we want you to be a part of the City Life Church. We want you to be a part of that. Something that is full of love. Walking on the road of life with people. And if it's with the City Life Church, 
it's going to be right back into the city because that's where the people are. Stand with me. Let's worship together. Father, you know the people that are in this room tonight, you know the questions that they have. You know the questions that they have. And may it be that tonight, as we sing these songs together, that they would begin to hear the whisper of heaven. That they would begin to feel your presence. They would know the touch of your hand. And they would know that you've got an answer for every question, for every question they could ever ask. God, you've already got the answers to the questions they haven't even started asking yet. But may it be tonight, maybe, 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 maybe just tonight, this night, this day, that something's going to turn in the heart of everyone here. It's going to say, maybe I don't know if I'm ready to trust him all the way again, but I'm open. Maybe I can rely on God. Maybe I'm not ready to forgive myself from all the mistakes of my past, but, but I'm, I'm beginning to be open to the idea that, that, you know what, God, He really can rely on me. It may be that for every person here, for every person here, they would be able to trust themselves, to give themselves the greatest things that they could ever need. Let's worship together.